Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life, that there's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there, like a splinter in your mind. This isn't real. What is real? How do you define real? If you're talking about what you can feel, what you can smell, what you can taste and see, then real is simply electrical signals interpreted by your brain. You've been living in a dream world, Neo. Hi, and welcome to the Urban Guru Cafe. Chop that wood, carry water. What's the sound of one hand clapping? Yeah, light and men don't know what it is. Every second, every minute, it keeps changing something different. Enlightenment don't know what it is. Enlightenment is recognizing that this right here and now is one, is the wholeness we've been looking for is already here. It's simply not wholeness in translation. It's not wholeness in mind. This week, Aretti speaks with Randall Friend about his new book. The book will be released in mid-May. Uh, the book is called You Are No Thing. And uh, I guess the inspiration of this comes from my conversations with Bob. I said, I just want to know what I am. What am I? <laughs> and Bob said, You are no thing. And to the seeking mind, that is like being hit in the face with a shovel. Because how can I be no thing? I'm obviously something. I'm obviously a person. I'm obviously, well, there's the translation. There's the assumption. There's that platform that we're standing on right there. So you are no thing was being stopped in your tracks. And you um, dedicate the book to Bob and Gilbert. Yes. Several months were spent in almost daily conversation with Gilbert and constant annoying and irritating message. The message was, seeing is happening. Seeing is happening. And then finally, upon calling Bob, he said, uh, you are no thing. So seeing is happening and I am no thing. That's, that, that's, what, that's what I got out of that. <laughs> So, of course, many people who are new to this would ask you about your story, but you say right from the start in your book that the story of Randall is not what this is about. It's not about any story. Can you explain why you were reticent to tell your personal story, and yet you still do for the sake of some? In the book, it is more pointing to the fact that the story itself is irrelevant. It is more translation more trying to find an answer by relating to a story. This is just more worldly knowledge, uh, trying to be like that, and that's not the point of it. So the short description of the biographical search in this case is merely a way of pointing out the similarities and dispelling the myths of specialness or the myth of, you know, only for the few, as Bob says, that it was more 
an earnestness, a drive to know the truth at all cost. So the earnestness is really the vehicle that the search itself goes on. It doesn't really matter what the path is. That earnestness or that drive, that desire to know the truth at all costs, that, that really is the vehicle that drives the search. And it drives it into a brick wall. Because if, if we're constantly discarding, well, you, know, you are awareness, you are the consciousness, whatever. Uh, yeah, whatever. We, we know that. We've heard that a million times. And we just discard it. And we continue to uh, bathe in our concepts. And, and we're quite content with that. Yet when suffering comes... Uh, then we're back to the search again. So that earnestness at some point comes and nothing can stop it. It becomes a, a runaway train. You say we all begin our search with worldly knowledge, and then you show us how this worldly knowledge fails us. Can you say something more about this? Sure. So the worldly knowledge is the assumption itself that I am seeking. That's where we start out. Whenever we have the desire which comes uninvited, you know, we didn't ask for the search to come. We didn't ask to become a seeker, but we're caught up in it. We're caught up in the search. And it's from the assumption that I am seeking, that I am suffering. So that's the very beginning of the search, and that is dependent on separation. It's dependent on the worldly knowledge itself. Without that worldly knowledge, there would be no search. There would be no need to search. If we were content in the immediacy of this Advaita, then there would be no search. So self-realization, coming to know yourself is discovering that the self is one the self is non-dual self is this it's this wholeness which is being sought after and it's the seeming lack of that is noticed in this sense of isolation loneliness the sense of conflict suffering so the search is defined by that worldly knowledge itself. It's defined because the translation is there that this is separate, that this is made of separate and independently existing pieces that I am only one small piece of. Trying to find wholeness and self-realization is discovering that you are that wholeness already. Randall to read a small section from his book. Spiritual Search is the chapter. The chapter sort of talks about 
the nature of the spiritual search. And we're reading about this state or this thing called enlightenment, and we're trying to piece together various sources to try to figure out what it is, and then we're making it a goal. And we're taking this new goal of enlightenment and making that our new imaginary picture of me. That's what I will become, and that's the template on which we will build our future. That's not really what all the great sages have said. They have said that this enlightenment is not an attainment, not something you don't have already, not something you have to reach or find or get. It is simply something you're overlooking, something already attained, something fully present now that is seemingly missed in preference for what it might be. But we don't want to hear that. We don't like now, whatever the hell it is. We don't want it to be about now, about something that is present. We don't want it to be about our true nature because we feel that our true nature isn't good enough. We feel that we, as we currently stand, are not capable of freedom and bliss and peace and love. And we feel that we already know our true nature. We've experienced it as that needling little guilt, as that suppressed jealousy over someone else's joy, as that hidden little pride when we're compassionate, as that faulty human being that really honestly doesn't know what the hell we're doing. And as that person, just trying desperately to juggle all the balls that life is throwing at us, feeling that we mostly are failing, feeling that no matter what we do, we're lost and separate in a somewhat violent and apathetic world. So this is what we want out of. That is what we don't want to know our true nature. We desperately want something different, something better. We desperately want the peace that can only be found somewhere else. Because peace is definitely not here, at least as we see it. Basically, this saying that we are wanting enlightenment to save us, that's what we want enlightenment for. And that's not what enlightenment is. Enlightenment is recognizing that this right here and now is one, is the wholeness we've been looking for is already here. It's simply not wholeness in translation. It's not wholeness in mind.
let's talk a little bit more about this worldly knowledge and how it can't bring an end to our suffering. We have this inherent assumption of separation, and then that is the platform by which we seek. We have to be standing on this platform which is built up of layered assumptions before we can even get to that point. We have to assume the world, assume me as a body-mind before we can ever even begin the search, before we can ever even have the search. So we start with this platform. We recognize that it's a platform of assumptions that's already built. It's already concrete. Yet we don't think to look at that. We have assumed it to the point that it's concrete and it's beyond even question. So worldly knowledge is just questioning that. And the example would be, uh, we say the sun rises and sets. And we know the sun doesn't rise and set. We know that the earth moves. The sun doesn't move. Yet from our perspective, the sun seems to move across the sky. Well, we already know this. We know that the sun doesn't move. We learned about that when we were children. Yet we ignore that and we say the sun is rising and setting. We ignore it to the point that it becomes a belief. So we don't think about it. We just see the sun moving and we believe that the sun is moving. That's how reality becomes obscured. That ignorance is how reality becomes obscured. So we think our translations or interpretations of what is happening is actually the reality. Yes. So, for example, you know, if uh, I feel happy because I've just bought myself a new car and that's going to end yes. my suffering, and yet yes. suffering arises again. Yes. But it wasn't the acquisition of the car that brought the happiness. It was the dissolution of the desire. Let's move now on to the next part of your book, which is about the self-knowledge. And in that chapter, you call every single thing that we have held true to question. You question words and the truth of words and time. So can you say something about this and how, in reality, when you examine these concepts, and that's all they are, is concepts, there's no truth to them at all? Yes, and I believe the example is in the book is uh, the word water. We know water, we drink it, we bathe with it, we get wet when it's raining, but yet the word water is not the thing. We only know water because of the experience of water. So the word is not the thing. This is the crack in the foundation of that platform that we're standing on. The word is not the thing. That's the built-in defect of duality. That's the pointer that points the interpretation in mind as not the reality. And we find this when we point to something like water, or we point to something like fire, and Bob says, the word fire can't burn you. It's only the actuality of that experience, that immediacy, that burns you. And that experience is only there because of yourself. Yourself is that subjectivity. So if I ask you, do you exist? What will you say? Of course, you know you exist. How do you know you exist? By that sense of presence. Sense of presence, yes. It's evident. You are self-evident. You don't have to question that. You don't need the body or the mind to know that you exist. 
You don't need to translate appearances. You don't need a word to know this. You don't need to continually confirm your existence. You, you know that you are. This is self-evident. You know this because of this presence or this primary awareness. It's a, a subjectivity which is always present and changeless. Because if it changed, you wouldn't be so certain of your existence. If it came and went like the body, like the thoughts, you wouldn't be so certain of your existence. Subjectivity has always been there for a lifetime of experience, no matter what the experience is. You don't need to become self-evident. You are ceaselessly and effortlessly self-evident already. So I say that all experiences can only come not because of words, but because of this self-evidence, because of this principle, this primary principle, this activity of knowing that is going on right now. So in any experience, you are also experiencing yourself effortlessly. That certainty of existence, you are already experiencing that effortlessly. When we say myself, then we are assuming a separate self. And then the opposite of that must be true, the world. But the self is not impersonal. The impersonal self, without the label of personality, without the translation of individuality on top of it, this, the self, the impersonal self, is experienced with the experience it's experienced as the experience itself. It's a reflection in consciousness of the self, all experience. So if we focus on the word, when we create the label, we're creating a translation. The mind is creating a translation. Yet we miss that our self-evidence is already certain and effortless. And any experience is only due to that self-evidence. So the self is present in any experience already. say something about time it's another translation so we're taking this immediacy this right here and right now this is all that exists but we build a story in mind of past and future and it's like a pendulum it swings back and forth and back and forth between past and memories and imagination the story of time is simply a mental translation it's taking a memory or an imagination and it's building a patchwork of continuity around that it's not a denial of experience it's a recognition of the immediacy of experiencing is this moment and the past 
and the future can only happen in this immediacy. So we never really move. We never really move out of this moment. The mind creates this sense of movement in time because we're stringing the past along and we're missing this immediacy because then we're looking forward to the, the future. But that's only a mental thing. It's not really a movement. The memory and the imagination comes in this present immediacy, always. So this feeling of movement is an illusion. There is no time. We never move from this. So there is no sense of time. Time is a, a measurement of the change. Yet the change is only witnessed in the immediacy of this moment. So there is no movement at all. There is no past or future. It's always this. There is nothing outside of this. When we do think that there is time, there's this sort of engagement in the story of what is going on rather than in the reality yes. of what we are. Yes. And when we see that it's the story, when we recognize this clarity of this moment, when we recognize the immediacy, that this is all there is, this is it, then where can we move? What is past? Past is a concept future is a concept. There is no past or future. This is it. There is no movement in time. This is all due to the translation. It's due to the measurement of changes. And But the changes only happen now. They only happen in this immediacy. So we don't go anywhere in time. This is it. She's at Molly as it have come to pass And all the years it shall be I see here, red before me. I see here, before me. That's another thing that you, of course, called to question the story of me and the idea that I have had an experience. Yes. We take experience to be self-existing, but experience depends on the subjectivity. Experience depends on you. You are the source of the experience. Without you, without your presence, the experience does not exist. So the experience is translated in mind as something separate. This is Randall's voice and then Randall must be there and then I'm here hearing and then the whole entire subject-object equation is created in mind but in reality there is no me hearing and Randall speaking there is only the experiencing going on in the immediacy of this moment that's all this is is one non-dual Advaita that's it there is no me hearing and no Randall speaking. There is just this immediacy, this experiencing. So your true self is 
already known in this moment and it is evident in all experience already. There's nothing that needs to be done to find this. There is simply a false translation going on about what it is. And that assumption is that there is a me, and then once that assumption of me is there, then the world must come into appearance. The world must take shape in concept because the mind is a tool of translation. So I say that everything that you know comes because of some means of knowledge. Seeing, hearing, tasting, smelling, touching. But there's another means of knowledge, and that is mind. That's what we call mind. It adds color to the content. It adds meaning to the appearance. It's a tool of translation. It's a, another means of knowledge. So... Vedanta is simply another means of knowledge, another translation. Self-knowledge is another translation that is correcting the false translation. And then Vedanta is discarded along with the rest of it. Advaita means not to. It's a negation. It's a negation of duality. So what is, whatever this is conceptualized or translated or interpreted as by mind, this right now is one. There is nothing outside. There is nothing other than. This is the wholeness that we're looking for right here and right now. So how can you be outside or different or separate from this wholeness? When all the dark clouds You've been listening to the Urban Guru Cafe. See my freedom from across the way. All I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. And it comes right in on time. The Urban Guru Cafe is produced in Australia.